Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the One Who Plants podcast. Uh, this is going to be the first in a series I'm going to be doing here in the next uh, few weeks, uh, really throughout Lent, uh, kind of tying it into what I'm doing here uh, on our midweek Lenten worship services. Uh, for And then, you know, I'm going to give the sermon there. Uh, kind of the same story, but a little different. I mean, it's more of a sermon. Uh, but I wanted to share the stories here because I'm, I'm doing the research anyway. Might as well share them. And what we're going to be looking at is uh, the, the lives of some famous hymn writers. Well, I shouldn't say the hymn writers are famous. The hymn writers aren't, aren't famous. Uh, the hymns are. Right? And you'll probably be familiar with many of the hymns that we're going to be uh, talking about. But so, like so many of kind of the great hymns that we have in our, in our uh, churches and that we sing on Sunday mornings, you might not know much about who wrote them. Or if you know anything, maybe you know their name because it's at the bottom of the page, but you don't know their story. So we're going to look at some of the story of the people behind the hymns uh, as, as we go forward here in the next few weeks. Uh, and I'm going to start out with one that is a pretty well-known hymn. You probably know it, probably sung it. Uh, it's called, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, or it's also called When Peace Like a River. It's, I think it can be listed as either one. Uh, depending on the hymnal, our uh, the LBW we got here in our Lutheran churches has got it when peace like a river, but I think it's more commonly known as uh, "It Is Well with My Soul." Uh, it's a great hymn. It's a very meaningful hymn, uh, and as you're gonna see, it comes out of a pretty well, pretty dark place. Uh, so let's get into it. So it's got written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. Um, yeah, probably never heard of him. Uh, he wasn't a great hymn writer. So it's really the only hymn he wrote. Uh, no, he was he was born in uh, 1828 in Troy, New York. He was uh, part of an educated kind of middle class family. His dad was an author and an inventor of of some prestige, a little bit of no uh, notoriety for his dad. Uh, uh, but we don't know much about you know his childhood. Uh, we don't really get much more of his story till he shows up later in life. Uh, he ends up in Chicago after school. Uh, he's a lawyer. Um, he gets married in Chicago there to a, a Norwegian immigrant named Anna Larson. Uh, and they're together they build pretty just a pretty great life. You know, he's a very successful lawyer. He's kind of rising up in his firm. Um, he's gaining some wealth. He's able to buy uh, multiple real estate holdings. I mean, he's kind of, he's really just creating this nice little world for himself um as you know this is the time where people are doing that um and he's also building a family right he's he has five children he has one son and four daughters and just everything is good life is great uh and that that all starts to change right in 1870 is really when we see the first tragedy strike in his life uh his his one son who's also named horatio he's four years old and he dies he catches the scarlet fever, and like many children who got scarlet fever, he doesn't survive it. Uh, and so this is obviously a pretty horrific event, losing a, a child. Um, and then it kind of snowballs from there. Uh, a few months later, 1871, if you are a history buff, you know what happens in Chicago in 1871. A big fire, a great fire, right? a fire that burns most of the city. And including in that burning is, you know, I mentioned he had all these real estate holdings that he's building, you know, this little kind of investment portfolio of real estate. Well, that's all gone, literally gone up in smoke. Uh, it all burns up uh, as much as Chicago does. 
And so, I mean, in this in the span of about a year, he loses his son, he loses uh, his wealth. Um, it's tough, right? And yet, uh, what he has holding him up through all this, I mean, this is a pretty devastating time, but he's got his faith, right? And, and his faith was very important to him, to him and his family. Uh, they were devout Christians. He was a member of the Presbyterian Church there in Chicago. He was really close friends with uh, D.L. Moody, who, if you do know church history names, he's he's a, a pretty famous evangelist and preacher. Uh, he was he was just known for uh, for his rousing sermons, and so he, he's a close friend of, of Moody, and uh, and he's really involved in that evangelistic efforts. Um, I mean, he financially supported him, and he supported him through actions and prayers, right? And, and his faith is just a really important part of, of his life, and it's something that uh, that definitely he clings to during this time of loss. And, and he starts pouring energy into, into the church and into supporting Moody, so much so that in 1873, he, he and his family decide they're going to go uh, and travel with Moody as he, as he goes across to England. Um, he, he's, you know, he's on an evangelical trip. He's, he's going out there to proclaim Christ and to preach and to go town to town doing this. And, uh, and Horatio wants to go out there and support him and be a part of it. And I think part of it is they just want to get out of, out of Chicago. It's been kind of a rough little go there for him. Uh, and so that's the plan. They're going to go sail across uh, the Atlantic Ocean. They're going to meet up with Moody uh, in England, and they're going to start evangelizing with him. Uh, but things don't go according to plan, right? Uh, they're all set to go when uh, something comes up, kind of a business emergency comes up that Horatio has to go deal with. We don't know exactly what it was, but but he has to go deal with this, and so he decides, I'll send my family on ahead, uh, and I'll go catch up. And so his family get on this boat. Uh, it's called the Ville du Havre. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's that's my best go at it. Uh, and it's traveling there across the Atlantic Ocean, and uh, one night as it's traveling, it gets hit, like, by another boat, which is just crazy because the ocean's huge. But somehow these two boats collide, and English, uh, an English iron ship comes through, and it, it kind of rams, really rams through uh, the Ville du Havre. And uh, within 12 minutes, the boat and everyone who was on it sinks. Right now, they don't all die. 226 people are killed, uh, and some survive. But amongst those who are killed is all four of Horatio's daughters. Right? All four of them. His wife, Anna, does survive. Uh, she is picked up by a ship. Uh, she's brought back to England, where she sends, she sends a telegraph to Horatio, who is still back in, in the States, and it reads, Saved alone, what shall I do? which I can't imagine being a, a dad and a husband and receiving that uh, and he hearing word that, you know, the ship that your children are went down and they went down with it. It's just a completely, completely horrific and devastating moment for Horatio. Uh, so he gets on the next ship he can to go over to England to be with his wife, uh, and he crosses the Atlantic. He makes that same journey, and as he crosses, uh, he goes past the spot where where his children died. He goes past the spot where that ship went down. Um, and it's in this moment, as he passes this, that he's inspired to write this hymn, which he is uh, most famous for. It's just really remarkable. He writes this in the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of just uh, devastating hurt. 
he writes this incredibly beautiful hymn. Uh, and it really, he's not writing as a hymn, but as a poem. But it, it's, it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm going to read it to you now. It's, there's these four verses. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall surround, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Sorrows like sea billows were definitely rolling as he wrote this. I can't even imagine the sorrow he was feeling. And yet, and yet he has the strength to write, It is well with my soul. Because that's the faith he had. Right? This belief in, in who Christ was and what Christ has accomplished and in the salvation that comes through Christ and in the eternal life uh, that comes through Christ. Right? Um, and we know that's what was going through his mind. You know, when he gets to England, he actually writes a letter to Anna's half-sister. Uh, and in that letter, he writes, and I'm going to read you his words, On Thursday last, we passed over the spot where she went down in the middle ocean. The water is three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded the dear lambs. Right? And that is what he clinged to, this belief that his children weren't in the bottom of the ocean, but were with Christ. Right? They were safe with Christ. And that's why it was well with his soul. That's why he was okay. Right? Because he had this faith in life that was after death. He had this faith in what Christ had accomplished. And he believed it so firmly and so fully that in the midst of this immense hurt, it, he found comfort. He found that his soul was still well because he had this faith, because he had that God, because he had Christ. So Anna and Horatio, they return uh, to Chicago. They begin rebuilding their lives. They have three more children. So, you know, things are, are looking up and they're... Um, you know, he's just rebuilding life. He's back in the law firm. He's um, trying to reestablish, you know, some of the uh, possessions he lost and all of that stuff. Um, but tragedy's not quite done with them yet. Uh, again, he has a son and two daughters. Uh, the son he names Horatio, as, as he named the first one, and as was his name, and as it was his dad's name, actually. It's a family name. Uh, but this time, again, young Horatio, it's actually just history repeats itself. He's four years old, and he gets the scarlet fever and dies. Uh, again, just devastating. It had to have been. Uh, this family has been through so much. Uh, and it's shortly after this that, uh, that Horatio and Anna and, and the family, they leave the Presbyterian church, um, and they begin their own church. And, and you maybe can understand why, um, you know, they've been through a lot. Uh, and he starts developing kind of a theology, which is challenged by some in the Presbyterian Church at the time. You know, it's really he he starts developing a theology of universal salvation, which not everybody, uh, well, still not everybody's on board with, and especially back then, 
uh, this idea that all people are saved uh, regardless of their actions or their beliefs. And, and you can understand where that would come from for someone who's lost his children, who's been through the loss that he has. I think it's, it was probably comforting to him to have this belief that all people are saved regardless of their beliefs. Um, I mean, who knows what a four-year-old believes, right? And, and I, I can understand where, it's, where he's coming from on this. So he begins his own little church. They're known as the Overcomers, which is, again, a very fitting name uh, for he's, him and his family have overcome a lot through their life. Um, and it doesn't really grow much. Um, it kind of stays a small little group. Uh, but he leads this little group. And, and actually, it's not very long after starting this that he feels called to... Uh, to to go bring Christ to people who maybe don't have Christ. So what he does is he takes this little church group. There's about 13 of them. Um, and he moves, they all just move to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem, like, yeah, in the Middle East. They go to Israel uh, there. And he begins, um, he plants a little church, a little community. They call themselves the American Colony. And there they devote themselves to, to service. Uh, to being there for the local people, and especially in, in caring for the sick and homeless children. Um, and they really, they sacrifice a lot, right, for the sake of others at this point. Uh, it's kind of a, a really moving thing. Uh, they, they're not out there trying to make money or trying to, uh, to really do anything that would benefit themselves. They're just there to serve, uh, to be there for the people around them. And that's what he devotes the rest of his life doing, uh, which unfortunately isn't very long. Uh, he spent seven years in Jerusalem um, trying to share Christ's love with the people there. Uh, and then in 1888, he dies of malaria. He was 59 years old. Um, and yet in those 59 years, he's, led, he's left behind us this hymn, which uh, remains as a lasting, just amazing example uh, of faith, especially faith in the midst of, of tragedy. Uh, this reminder that, that in Christ it is well with our soul, no matter what uh, this life brings. And that was uh, true for Horatio, and I hope that can be true for you as well. I hope you, you know the peace uh, that only Christ can bring and the, and the hope that he brings and, and just the calm and the, and the peace of your soul that he brings. I hope you know, um, you know, God's love. Uh, and the amazing gift of salvation and eternal life. Because for Horatio and for me and for a lot of people, for Christians, for thousands, millions of, of Christians throughout the years, uh, that has been a source of, of calm uh, and comfort and, and hope and strength. Um, and that's why this hymn, I think, continues to resonate with people. It's still a beautiful hymn. I love singing it, and I know many others do as well. Um, because in the midst of, of the hardships of life, and there are hardships, there always are, uh, we can still remember it as well with our soul when we have Christ, and and it always will be. So, there's uh, there's Horatio Spafford. Now you know, in case you didn't before. Maybe next time you sing that hymn, maybe it'll mean a little something extra to you if you remember his story. Uh, so that's all I got for today. Again, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back again uh, next week with another hymn writer. So I hope uh, you can look forward to that. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.